Welcome to Releasing Your Inner Dragon, where story creators talk story creation. Drake is an award-winning fantasy novelist and creative writing teacher. You can find his epic fantasy series, The Genesis Oblivion, on Kindle Vela. Marie runs a fantasy world-building channel called Just In Time Worlds, and her first book, The Hidden Blade, is available on Kindle Unlimited. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to the Releasing Your Dragon podcast with Marie and Drake. Today we are going to be talking about complexity versus complications and how to avoid them in writing. So let's start by saying what these two things are. Complexity is when you pretty much have too much going on in a sentence, a scene, a chapter, etc. Complications is it's what you want. Your characters have a motivation. Your characters have a drive. Your characters have a desire. And so when I'm writing as my characters, I am my character. So I do want to accomplish that. However, the story has its own drive and motivation and reasons for being. And that's usually, for me, to teach the, the narrating character a lesson, which in turn teaches the reader that lesson, which is we're, we're talking about the major theme of our mm. story complications are those things that the character runs into that make it complicated for them to achieve their goal and usually show them that what they think their goal is isn't their goal and their goal is actually something else so you know just as a a great example of that is the kids movie finding nemo you know marlin's goal is just to rescue nemo and protect him from the world But the story's goal is to show Marlon that he's the wrong type of parent, that being an overprotective parent is bad. And again, these are facts, but facts within the story. So you don't have to believe that. Mm. I personally do. As a parent, I believe that my job was to raise my kids to be prepared to go and not be under my wing. But not every parent believes that, and that's fine. But the story, you know, whatever your thematic element in your story is, are facts within the story. So, you know, the fact is... We're going to teach the audience that being an overprotective parent is bad. Mm -hmm. And so those complications that he runs into time and time and time again are complications that he has to get through. They're complications to him. If he would have just not been an overprotective parent from the beginning, (laughs) he wouldn't have had any of those complications. How I kind of relate that back to complexity, complexity is just adding stuff that is just really complex that doesn't need to be there. And and I actually just had my own complexity issue. So I've talked about this a few times. I've got a kid's movie that's in development, Mm -hmm. may never get made. It's right now in the funding stages, which is the most tenuous part of the process. It's a $20 million film. If anybody out there has $20 million and want to be executive producer, send, you know, (laughs) contact me. We've got it open. We are literally looking for funds, but you know, neither here nor there. But when I was writing the script the first time, when I was doing my first couple of drafts and going through that story, I had this, it's a fantasy kids animated uh, movie. And so I, I had kind of made this fantasy world like I would normally make a fantasy world. Mm-hmm. And normally means I'm a novelist, which means I either have one novel that's going to be 80 to 140,000 words long, or I have three, five novels that are 150, 180,000 words each. And so I did kind of you know, do my normal thing where I like to world build and I like to have pretty complex worlds because epic fantasy fans and, you know, that's something they look for. 
Whereas if you're writing romance and you add too much complexity to it, you're going to turn readers off. You need the complexity in epic fantasy, not adventure fantasy, but epic fantasy, because that's one of the kind of required things that fans are looking for. So I wrote this story and, you know, when I went through it, where I, you know, I had all this information that you have to give to the audience. That's a part of the complexity and that's why it becomes complex. So I had all these things that I wanted the audience to know about because they were instrumental in understanding the overcome of the plot. You had to understand the backstory. You had to understand where magic came from. You had to understand all this stuff. And so I wrote it and it ended up being 145 pages long. Mm. Movie scripts can't be that long, period. Matter of fact, they have a hard cutoff of 120 pages, period. And I'm a pretty tight writer. So it's not like, you know, and I would talk to, I talked to my movie friends and directors and producers and have them read the script. And we talked about it and I'm like, what can I cut? And they're like, yeah, no, every scene. My favorite was this one movie producer. Cause he said, when you sent me the script, it's 142 pages long. I know for a fact that that means you're a weak writer that is meandering all over the place. And I'm going to easily be able to just start circling massive scenes that literally do nothing for the story because that's what 142 page script says to me. And he's like, unfortunately you can't cut anything. Like every single scene you wrote is literally required to tell this story. You are such a tight writer. And so, but but that puts me in a, a problem because I can't sell that, that will never be sold. So I actually, how I fixed the solution, it took me a while to come up with this, but it came down to the complexity. I went back and remade the history of the world to take out some of the complexity because by taking it out, it doesn't have to be explained. And so what that gave me was a, a much more streamlined story that's now 119 pages and very tight still. I fell into the trap of complexity yeah, wouldn't have been a problem. And so I'm, I'm writing, this is the first project that I wrote the movie script first. And then now I'm writing the novelization of it. I don't think I'm going to take that complexity out of the story in the novelization. Yeah. I have more time. I have the ability to roll this stuff out. I still like the way it, it rolled out in the, my original mm-hmm. version. So when I do the novelization of it, I'm only a couple chapters in it right now. It's kind of a back burner project. Mm-hmm. If it gets greenlit, we're talking a three-year production schedule. So really the novel doesn't have to be out until the movie is getting ready to drop. So I got a little bit of time to decide that. And if the movie doesn't drop, I don't write middle grade fiction. Fiction. So it's going to be harder for me to sell Mm. uh, because I am an adult fantasy writer as opposed to a middle grade fantasy writer. This Mm. would be the first middle grade novel that I've written. So really without the movie, I'm not all that interested in in writing Mm. The, the thing, but still, you know, it, that you have to understand your mediums and that's really long story to get around to it, but that's the difference between complexity to me and, and conflict mm. or so, complication, sorry, complications. So when I, when I raised this topic uh, as a point of discussion, I raised that there is a term in software engineering called the single responsibility principle. Now, for those of you who are not software engineer, I'm assuming that's most everybody listening most to that. Of us. <laughs> In in software engineering, what this term means is a function or a class which contains functions or a module which contains classes must have a single responsibility. If you have multiple responsibilities in a class or in a function, you must break out those responsibilities to different classes or different functions. 
Now, now in the case of con containers, so your class containing your function and so on, you know, it's kind of like upwards, you can have the class be responsible for, say, governing the stomach. And then you can have a function that regulates how much acid flows into the stomach and a function that regulates the clasp of the stomach and a function. So there are different sub elements of the larger element, but they all roll up into single responsibilities. And you know, you know that you are getting into dangerous territory when you start indenting down like this. So when you're writing software, every time that you make a code block, it indents. You get like a tab space. When your code starts going in like that across the page and it starts making this triangle shape like this, well, you have just fallen prey to massive complexity and you'd better start looking where you're breaking your single responsibility principle. And I was wondering how to apply that to writing. Like that think, kind of principle. I, you did not give that that example when we were kind of prepping for this. <laughs> I literally think you just nailed it. That has got to be the most beautiful example that describes this because it still works the same way. Mm. And, it, and it starts from the sentence structure level. Uh, yeah. I can't tell you how many times in my writer's group where there'll be this big, long, convoluted sentence and you know, they'll read it and, and they'll know it's, it's wrong. They'll know that it doesn't do what it's supposed to do and, and that it, it, it's, it's bad. And I'll say, here's the easy way to tell this. Let's circle every piece of information that you're giving to the reader. Mm. So you're giving them that, you know, it's a dog that's biting a blue, you know, old woman in a red car speeding down the highway, you know, being chased by cops and elephants and pterodactyls. <laughs> I'm like, that's 11 things that you're, you're giving all this information to the reader, you know, that, that fits perfectly in your whole, you know, mm. not only in your, your uh, programming analysis, but mm. I really love, and I'm going to steal from my classes, <laughs> the whole stomach issue. A sentence should be you know, for the most, I mean, there's exception to this yeah. and I'll get into that in a second, but, it, but a sentence should really be exactly what you said. I regulate how much acid goes in the stomach. Yeah. That's my job. That's it. That's all I do. And then the next sentence is like, I regulate, you know, how I grumble when I'm hungry or empty. Mm. That's my job. It's what I do. And so that's what these sentences should be. And then paragraphs mm -hmm. should be those combined make this and then a scene should be all of these things are going to one, you know, process. And, and, you know, if you have multiple scenes in a chapter those multiple scenes should be driving one thing that the chapter is accomplishing. And that's how we divide up this stuff. So like, I'm telling you, like you, you literally <laughs> nailed the most beautiful analogy of avoiding complexity. And we're just talking about the craft of writing here. We're not talking about the craft yeah. of storytelling. This is just prose. So I did say, sometimes you break this. So where do we break that? So sometimes the information is not important. Mm. And why would we do something that's not important? Well, it, it has another job. So let's say we're going to have Drake go into the kitchen and, and, and make a pot of, of boiling water. Mm. We could, but, but it has nothing to do with the plot. It literally has nothing to do with anything. 
so why are we doing it? Well, one, since I write a lot of fantasy, a lot of sci-fi, one of the things that I do try and accomplish at the beginnings, especially at the beginnings of my stories, is to put in mundane elements to help ground the reader to the situation, to the characters, to whatever, because they go, oh, I've made boiling water before. I must be just like this guy. And so you know, we want to throw those mundane things in because we're about mm-hmm. to have them chased by pterodactyls and, yeah. and whatever and zombies. And like, yeah. we're going to throw all this fantastical stuff at them. So we want to ground them in the mundane first. Mm. But and, also, and, but- also, and also the world build, like in case, in case, you know, when you boil water, you don't use a kettle, but you use a magical device that right. has flames and coming up. We can definitely drop in world building items with yeah. these mundane tasks to, to build the world. Mm. We can also... Let's say I know that at the that this chapter is going to lead to a ninja attacking Drake, and sometime during the fight, Drake's going to grab this pot of boiling water and throw it on the ninja, which is going to buy him the time to get away. Yeah. So, you know, another thing is I'm planting a plot device mm-hmm. that I'm going to reap later because you can't just have a pot of boiling water show up out of nowhere. Yeah. So, there's a lot of reasons for doing it. However, the boiling of the water is not important. No. So. You know, I could describe Drake going to the kitchen and getting pots and and doing this and filling this and putting it here and turning on this and all that. If it's worthless, if it's boring crap, mm-hmm. then I'm going to write this big convoluted run on sentence where I might write Drake went into the kitchen, got a pot, filled it with water, put it on the stove to boil. Yeah, it's a run on sentence. Yeah, I just put five pieces of information in one sentence. First of all, none of it's fantastic. So it's mm-hmm. You know, everybody's done that. So it's a mundane task that 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 the audience should be able to follow. Like, oh, he's boiling water. Like, that's it. I literally could also just say Drake went in the kitchen and boiled some water. Yeah. Um, I don't even have to go into all that other stuff, but maybe there's oh, some world building things mm-hmm. or something they want to do or whatever. But we want to get through that. And it doesn't matter. And it's not going to lose a reader and it's not going to be convoluted, you know, to the point where where we're, we're throwing anybody off. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you're going to break that rule, but most of the time we're going to want to keep, you know, one, maybe two things in a sentence, one, maybe two things in a paragraph, one, maybe two things in a, in a, in a scene. And then, you know, really only one big thing in our chapters. A lot of my chapters tend to be one scene chapters then that means that both the scene and the chapter will have that one focal point, that one reason for existing, that one thing that is driving and all the paragraphs and sentences that make up that are driving that one thing. And so, yeah, that's a, and and now this is just the craft of writing side. We also want to talk about the craft of storytelling side, because again, you can add complexity or complications in there. And and it goes back to what I was talking about, about the kids movie that I wrote, I added a lot of complexity to the story on the storytelling side that actually hurt the script's ability to do what it needed to do. I also want to say something here about editing and and this kind of thing. And I'm going to tie it back again to software engineering because this, this is so true. When you write code for the first time, and I'm much more experienced with code than I am with, with prose, so it comes easier as an example. When you write code for the first time, it's terrible. It is the worst thing you've ever seen in your life. It is all over the place. It's indented down seven levels. Everything's doing multiple things. You've got functions that stretch over three screens. It's a mess. But then you go back and you're like, okay, now it works. Okay, I can prove 
that the thing achieves the overall goal that it's supposed to achieve, which is maybe throwing a widget up on the screen. And when somebody presses the widget, it shouts, yay, you wrote the line of code. Okay, great. It works. Then you go and you fix it. You go back and you extract the functions and you say, okay, this is, okay, this I need to extract that. I need to extract, I need to make it an error handler. I need to make a function here. Oh, Lordy, this is a completely separate thing, which I should put in a function in a class over there. Actually, there is a module on the internet that can do this part for me. So I'm going to download that and use that code here. And you do that kind of editing process. And then you go and show it to your senior developer or to somebody that you respect. And you're like, please, can you code review my stuff for me? And they will rip it to shreds worse than any writer has ever experienced from an editor. Believe me, if you guys think you've got a a thick skin as a writing editor, you should experience a code review. <laughs> Junior coders walk, walk out in tears. It's a thing. <laughs> I'm not going to deny that I've crushed a few souls in my career. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you grow through that. So my, my point is that the initial draft code that works is badly written. And then you edit it to fix it. And it's why I say every class, genius isn't written. Mm. It's rewritten or it's edited, whatever you want to yeah. say, you know, and I, and I, and I'm very open about this, you know, people come up to me and they're like, mm-hmm. Oh my God, you're one of my favorite writers. You're so good at writing. And I'm like, in my, I don't say it's them. I just thank mm-hmm. them and, and yeah. try to be as humble as I can. But in my head, I'm going, actually, I'm a decent writer. I'm an amazing editor. That's what I really am. I'm an amazing editor. The writing I'm pretty good at. Uh, the funny thing is, is for the very first time in my entire almost 20 year writing career mm-hmm. now, I'm actually letting somebody in at the beginning. And mm-hmm. so he's been, he's my latest protege. Mm-hmm. He's also one of the authors of this 20 novel saga. He lives here in Vegas. He's the only other author that lives in Vegas with me. Uh, the others, one lives in um, Kansas City and the other mm-hmm. lives in Germany. But so we get together a couple of times a week to kind of have writing sprints is what I call them, where we talk for a second or, you know, for a few minutes and we're like, okay, we're going to write for an hour. And then I sit down and he sits down and we write and we, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a great kind of, kind of mental accountability Mm -hmm. because it's like, oh, I could play this game or I could read this email or I could, you know, do this thing. But Alan's right there looking at me. So if I, I mean, he's here for us to write and he's thinking the same thing. He's like, oh, Drake's over there. I got to write for an hour. And so it it really does help us do this folks. But, but then we can talk about it. We can go, okay, what'd you write? What did you get hung up on? What, you know, let's, let's bounce some ideas. And then we go, okay, another hour. That's right. And so then we sit down and we write again. And and so it's been really good, but it's the first time I've ever done this. And so it's the first, and you know, Alan's read tons of my stuff over the years when we first started doing this and I gave him, you know, this thing to read, I was like, okay, I want to see your, I want your opinion on this thing. I, I think I did what I'm trying to do, but, I, and he read it and he went, so the weirdest thing is, cause we hadn't really talked about this. We hadn't really talked about You know, how I write in layers and all this stuff. He goes, he goes, are you feeling okay? And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, this is not, I don't want to say this is bad, but this is definitely not your writing. And I'm like, Oh yeah. You're seeing my puke draft, aren't you? I actually have five steps to write what I call my first draft. You know, I write the first draft in my puke draft and then I edit it four times. Each time I'm editing everything, but each time has a focus. Mm -hmm. So like the very first draft or my puke draft, my puke draft, I write action and dialogue. That's it. Just action and dialogue, action and dialogue. Actually, there's some, 
you know, and I've gotten better over the years. There's some description, there's some emotion, there's some world building, there's some this, there's some that, but it's primarily action and dialogue. I'm, I'm a method writer, which means just like a method actor, I become the character. I take a moment to actually, you know, I do take about two minutes to fall into character with my eyes closed before I start writing. And then I am that character. Drake doesn't exist anymore. And then I write their action and dialogue. My second draft, I'm editing everything, but my second draft is what does that look like? 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 And what does that look like? My third time through it is how does that feel? What, what are you experiencing emotionally when that happens? How did that make you feel? You know, and so now I'm adding in all those emotions. My third draft is, okay, let's look at the big picture world building. Is there anything I could put in here that would show this, show that? And then my last draft is a weird draft um, because the only draft that I don't look at everything. I actually do a find and replace for my quotes and I replace all my quotes with highlighted quotes. And then I just read the dialogue. If it's a dialogue scene, if it's an action scene, I don't do this because there's not a lot of dialogue in it. But if it's a dialogue scene, I just read the dialogue. And what I'm looking for is, does the dialogue tell the story by itself without any narration? Maybe the line, and this is just a fake line. It's the one I used last night in my writer's group. Maybe I write the line, honey, would you come in here? She said, exhausted and out of breath as she ran on the treadmill. Now, when you have all that together, it works. Mm. But if all I get is, honey, can you come in here? Because that's all I do on that one draft. That doesn't tell me anything. It doesn't tell me anything about how she's doing it, what she's experiencing or anything like that. So then I ask myself the question, can I make this line? Can I rewrite this line of dialogue to show how you know, this scene that's going on. So with this, I mean, we came up with a bunch of different examples last night, but again, this is a fictitious line. I've never written it, but like one easy way is maybe honey dot, dot, dot. Can you dot, dot, dot come in here? Like even just breaking it up like that kind of shows the, the breathlessness or whatever. And we came up with a bunch of, and that's, that's probably the weakest way, but it's the only one I remember off the top of my head, but I, that's what I try to do. I try to go through and make sure that the dialogue all by itself is telling the story, the emotions, the, the meaning of everything. And, and when I finish the chapter reading nothing but dialogue, I ask myself, do I understand the thematic element that I'm trying to thread through this story or through this scene just using dialogue? I will, I will add one more to that, um, but that's an overall edit when you've put the whole thing together yeah. because I found that I have a horrible habit of repeating descriptions and emotional, like I start saying he shrugged or he did this or he did that or she did that. And I start repeating it, not in the scene, but in across scenes and across chapters. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you're looking back and you have used the word shrug 500 times. <laughs> so as I preach, I'm one of the only published authors that doesn't use speech tags. And you really yeah. shouldn't follow me down that path because mm-hmm. it causes it actually breaks us. It can break the story in, in some places, but I absolutely preach. And, and we talked about that when we were looking at your writing, absolutely preach of, you know, limiting them, you know, cutting them out any chance you can, because you can add so much more depth to it. Unfortunately, 
the trap that so many, you know, writers that are trying to learn that skill of, of writing with less speech tags, what they fall into is he shrugged, he nodded, he smiled, he grinned, he nodded, he shrugged. And it's like, you're literally just saying he said, but you've changed the word said to something else. And so that's, that is literally a pitfall of, of that almost mm-hmm. everyone falls into. I'm, I'm sorry. I know, I know, I know, I know Robert Jordan is, I, I understand how everybody feels about it, but there is a part of the series where everybody is icily glaring at each other and not showing their emotions to the point where I'm like, can, can somebody just glare at each other in a frozen way, maybe? Just something. So, so a lot of people don't know this, <laughs> but here's the reason why, unfortunately, Jordan is so wordy. Mm. He discovered, and this is, you know, we're talking about when computers are just mm. starting out and word processors are just starting out. He discovered macros. And so what he would literally do is he would macro a description. Every time he wrote a description of something, he would macro it. And then when he got to that thing again, he would drop the macro in and then just edit it a little bit. And then the next time he got to that thing, he would drop the macro in and edit it a little bit. Can, can I tell you, can I, can I go back to software development just for a second? Because there's another principle that is really relevant here. And it's very simply called the dry principle. Yeah. You know what it stands for? Don't repeat yourself. It's called that in software engineering. And the principle is whenever you find yourself copying and pasting, you have just violated the dry principle. Robert Jordan is one of my favorite writers. I loved him. And, you know, I started reading him as a young, wee little 10, 11 year old doing Conan. Yeah. Um, I'm a big Wheel of Time fan. I'm a, you know, not only am I an associate of, of Sanderson, mm. I don't know if I'd call him a friend, mm. but we definitely hang out at conventions mm. or whatever. Huge fan of Brandon Sanderson. Love that he finished the series. Mm. You know, I love the Wheel of Time, but it's a lot of words. It's, it's a lot of words that just that just don't need to be there. Well, I, I, I honestly, I never finished the series. And I know, I know that makes me a heretic. You can all hate on me, but I just, I couldn't get through it. It's 15 novels. <laughs> I couldn't get through them. I couldn't get through the first one. I read it enough to get to gather the world. And I was like, the world is gorgeous. I'm going to go read up on it on the internet. <laughs> so there's two places in that series that, that, that derail people, the first book, whatever reason. And it did me too. I started that series three times, mm. two times. I, I never got past, you know, wherever I got past in book one. And then finally on the third time, I'm like, I'm plowing through this. And I, you know, yeah. I did the other series is books. I want to say it's seven, eight, nine, but it could be eight, nine, and 10. Mm. They are literally one novel that he stretched out over three novels. It was, and I get it. It was, yeah. it was right at the end of his life. He was, he had massive medical bills because mm. he had cancer and he was dying. And, and so he took one story because, uh, so you have all the different plot arcs, but every one of them start at the beginning, like, like Perrin's wife gets kidnapped at the beginning mm. of which is seven or eight, whichever one it is of the three. And he and his army chase the kidnapping army through the rest of that book, through the next book, through the next book. And at the end of that third book, 
they catch the army and rescue his wife. And every single story arc does that. Every single story arc starts in the first, runs all the way through all three, and then is ended in the third. So they are they are literally one novel that was just stretched into three novels. So that that gets a lot of people because it is when you stretch that one story out for that mm-hmm. long of a period of time, it's very redundant. It's there's a lot of redundancy. But again, I give him a pass. You're 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 yeah. a great man who's who's entertained me my whole life. Mm-hmm. You need a little extra money to, you know, to make sure your family is set up after you're, you know, leaving this earth. I'm giving it to you. Like mm-hmm. you have been, he was, he was probably my biggest mentor figure, even though I never met the man, you know, I didn't become a professional writer until after he had passed away. I still consider him one of my biggest mentor figures because of how much I learned as a writer reading his stuff and, and really dissecting why. And it's also why I can do it in half the time because I Mm -hmm. used him as that template and I went, wow, I don't really like reading this redundant stuff. Maybe I shouldn't write it. So 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 taking, taking it back to our topic of complexity, to be honest, he introduces a lot of complexity. Oh my goodness. But he's got 15 novels. Sure. Sure. But, but we just, we just discussed that. I mean, yes, yes. Fair enough. He was perhaps doing it deliberately, but you could have like, Hmm, you could have compressed a lot of those novels. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I'm really jealous of his, of the world of the Wheel of Time, because mm. every, it's like, if you took every good idea that's ever going to be created for fantasy, it's in there. Like, it's crazy how much he put in there. And and, and it's a little selfish to create a, a series that has every cool possible idea, you know, for the next 40 years in fantasy in one book or in one series. Like, cause when I'm world building or whatever, and I get ideas, I'm like, oh yeah, no, that's in, that's in Wheel of Time. I can't use that. And then I'll go, I'm like, oh, I'll come on. Oh no, that's in Wheel of Time. And oh, I got the, oh, that's in Wheel of Time. Like, <laughs> and so it gets a little frustrating when, you know. I'm, I'm proud of my hats. I'm yeah. very proud of my hats. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's a struggle to, uh, yeah. you know, there is so much in the genre now. It is a struggle to come up with uh, things that are a little bit more unique. But, but you know, I, I had a, conversation with Catherine Kerr uh, I don't know if you know who that is she she wrote a, a huge series that was very successful in Britain about reincarnation and she said there are people who write to her and say why did you copy George R. R. Martin you don't understand how absurd this is George R. R. Martin wrote a book series based on War of the Roses and the Frankish Knights Catherine Kerr's world is based on the Celtic mythology their source material is completely different. But yet there are people who see similarities between these two worlds. And they're like, but you copied from each other. But neither of them copied from each other. They're contemporaries. They wrote at the same time. Right. Right. They didn't, nobody copied off each other's homework here. And th- in fact, I think Catherine Kerr's work came out first. So, because I think she was, do- she was doing her fantasy series when Martin was still writing sci-fi. You cannot copyright an idea. You can only copyright the words. Right. Right. Yes. All fantasy books share a certain amount of similarity. I had somebody comment on my book and say, the magic system reminds me of Biochroma from Brandon Sanderson's novels. I actually have not read those particular Brandon Sanderson novels. I've read a lot of his work, but I haven't read those. Is it the same system? No. But I'm so, sure it reminds people of it because there are similarities. So I wasn't going to bring this up, but I was actually talking to a fan who had reached out to me about 
this podcast yeah. um, and how much he was enjoying it and everything like mm-hmm. that. Cause he's been, you know, my fan base has been waiting for me to do a podcast yeah. for decades and I yeah. just never had the tools to do it. Yeah. And he read your first book because you're in this podcast with me. Yeah. And he actually had the same comments. You know, he said, you know, he felt that there was a similarity there as well. And, and, you know, I told him the same thing I tell everybody. There are no original ideas. There, there really just aren't. aren't. You know, a guitar has six strings. Yeah. That's it. That's what it has. But yeah. you can make an, an unbelievably amount of, you know, songs off those six mm. strings. There's an, in, in my creative writing book, the dynamic story creation one, mm. there's an entire chapter called Spaghetti. And it's literally about spaghetti. It's not even about writing or anything. <laughs> yeah. It's about spaghetti. Yeah. And it's basically just an, uh, an allegory that I use mm. to explain we've all had spaghetti. Mm. It's the same. It's noodles, red sauce, meat. Like there's, mm. you know, spices. There's nothing different. Yet there, we've all had a billion different types of spaghetti. Everything from the horrible crap that schools sell to the amazing stuff that your grandma made. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and everywhere in between. And, but it's spaghetti. It's the yeah. same freaking ingredients. There's nothing. And I'm not talking about like, you know, weird spaghetti. I'm just talking about red sauce, meat spaghetti. <laughs> That's the thing. And so I meet a lot of writers at writers conferences mm. and I'm like, oh, you know, you're here at this writer conference. You spent $400 to get in. You traveled, you hoteled, you, you know, so you're at a grand or whatever. What are you writing? Oh, I don't write anything yet. Okay. Why? Well, I'm still haven't come up with my original idea yet. I'm like, well, you're never going to, because there's no such thing. (laughs) Like if you're waiting on that, you might as well quit writing. The reality is it's just about mixing the ingredients is different than anyone else. The ingredients are there. Exactly. So I'll tell you like David Eddings with his very simplistic magic system pulled Mm -hmm. in, you you pull in the power, you speak the word, the thing happens. Yep. There are so many magic systems that are very similar to that. Yep. Was David Eddings the first guy to come up with it? I don't know. You, you can't, like you cannot. And, and you shouldn't even worry about it. And it's, don't, it's, exactly. The, Especially the, with the amount, in fact, like, like, as I said, I hadn't actually read the, the Biochroma books or the books in which Biochroma features. So when somebody said, it reminds me of Biochroma, I'm like, okay. I didn't go and change my magic system at that point. It's embedded in my world. Like, yeah, it's, it, obviously you should never plagiarize. No, plagiarize. never plagiarize. <laughs> Yeah. You know, just make your characters feel unique. That's mm-hmm. really where, you know, the, the, the driving focus comes. You know, every story has to have a thematic element. How many thematic elements are there? I mean, I don't know. There's thousands, but because there are human elements, but the, it's definitely limited. You there know, are six million so titles in Kindle. Yeah. Six million and growing. Yeah. So. <sighs> yeah. Exactly. You're going to, you're going to be the same as somebody else. Right. Yeah. And don't worry about it. Yeah. You know, don't, don't plagiarize, it. but don't worry that, that there's similarities, yeah. crossovers, things that are similar, even if you got the ideas from, from yeah. these things. But you know, even, okay. So, so to get back to our complexity thing, even in world building, you can be excessively complex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now here's the thing. I absolutely advise you to go as complex as you like in your notes, just because a thing is in your notes doesn't mean it needs to make it into the novel. Right. I recently built in my other continent, (laughs) I built a, 
a whole freaking school of glass blowers who produce a certain type of glass with a high metal content that is used by the medical professionals on that continent to, to cut away people's cataracts. Why did I invent that? Because it was a prompt in a world building thing. And I was like, that's interesting. And I've got these glass blowers and I've been wondering if there's like anything else they can do. And I made up this thing. It's probably never going to make it into the novel. <laughs> but it does add like a little bit of depth in my thought process around writing characters that come from that continent and their view on things like cataracts and it speaks to their advancement in medicine and so on all of which is a good thing but trim it out of the novel yeah <laughs> yeah just because you create it doesn't mean i mean it still has to everything so getting back to what we were yeah. talking about you know because really it, we can take it. I took it up to the chapter level. We can take it to the next level. The next yes. level is the novel. Yes. You know, all the chapters should be little elements that all feed into one major theme. Yes. That's the thematic element of your story. Yes. So you can have tons of minor themes. Minor themes come and go. They, they're, they could be mm -hmm. scene long. They could be chapter long. They could be several chapters long. Um, but you only have one major theme. And just to make sure there's no confusion, there's no minor theme list and major theme list. They're all just themes. And themes are those human elements, greed, you know, lust, all the seven deadly sins, plus a billion other things, losing a child, kidnap, whatever. I mean, just anything that any human can relate to is, is a thematic mm -hmm. element. The difference between minor themes and major themes is how you use them. Minor themes are things that you thread in that all feed into the larger theme, but they're all, they come and go, but they're all integral to the major theme. And the major theme is what starts at the very beginning of, of the story and is, you know, resolved at the very end of the story. And that's your major theme. So I still go back. I love Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo was, was brilliantly written, just yeah. brilliantly written. So like one of the things that you hear in Hollywood all the time is you have to have a romance. If you do not have a romance, you're never going to get your story made. There's no romance in Finding Nemo. And the crazy thing is, is there absolutely could be. Dory is single and Marlon is a widow. Like, why didn't they have a romance? And this is where the brilliance of those writers came into play because they understood that your major theme has a, a feeling. The, the major Marlin, there's two stories in that. There's the Nemo story arc and the Marlin story arc. And I'm not talking about the Nemo story arc because it has its own stuff. Um, but I like, you know, the Marlin story was the, the bigger, probably 60%, 70% of the movie. And it's the one, since I'm a parent, it's the one that I relate to. So it's all about what type of parent to be. Should you be a overprotective parent or should mm. you be a less overprotective parent? That is grounded in fear. Mm. You will never know true fear until you become a parent. Mm. And that fear never ends. <laughs> like, I swear to God, if they just explain that to people, if they talk about the best birth control ever, just explain to people how freaking terrifying it is for the rest of your life to have a child, like everything. And it, and it just grows. It doesn't even go like my kids are now 17 and 19. So they're no longer really under my control because they're basically adults. And the level of terror now is even more than it was. So since the major theme is grounded in fear, what is romance grounded in? What is a love story grounded in? It ain't grounded in fear. 
So you're actually, your minor themes, you know, if we look at all of them, they're all themes that are, that are also grounded in fear or negativity or whatever, because all of those will feed into your bigger major theme. And so you got to think about that. It's not, a, it's not just this, that's why I hate golden rules. Like the golden rule is you got to have a romance in a movie or you don't ever get made. No, it doesn't, that's, that's stupid to say something like that. Mm. You know, it, it's what the thematic elements can hold. It's what, you know, what you're trying to accomplish as far as that's concerned. And again, yeah, that comes too. down to complexity of yes. the theme. We yes. don't yes. ever want to have complexity within our theme. And, and when I'm teaching theme, I always do this exercise, you know, because the weird thing about themes is you can never mention them. You can never mm. mention your theme, but every scene is going to have a theme. Every scene is going to have kind of a, 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 a human kind of reason mm. for being there that the audience is going to walk away with. So if you have a story, let's say you have a five chapter story and in chapter one, the theme is A and chapter two, the theme is A and in chapter three, the theme is A and chapter four, the theme is A and chapter five, the theme is A. What's the theme of your story? It's A, whatever that is. However, if you have a five chapter story and the first, you know, chapter one, the theme is A and the chapter two, the theme is B and the chapter three, the, the theme is Z and the chapter four, the theme is a question mark and chapter five, the theme is an asterisk. What's the theme? Nobody knows. You've made it so complex. And so mm -hmm. complexity, you know, we talked about complexity on the, you know, the writing side. We've talked a little bit about it on the story side, but there's also, you know, you want to avoid that complexity in the thematic side as well, because the audience, since you can never mention your theme, if you're too complex, they can't get it. They don't understand the message that you're trying to give them at the end of the day. Mm. So there's a lot of, avoiding co complexity issues yes. complications should help you tell the story complexity does nothing but detract if you find yourself in a position where you are communicating stuff that does not contribute to your theme on the macro level you've gone too far if you're in a sentence and you're giving more than a piece of information you've gone too far one or two. If I have a writing problem that an English master would pop me on, I do love an introductory clause. I do. It's a <laughs> sentence structure that I like. And so with an introductory clause, you're doing two things. Mm. Running into the kitchen, comma, the dog slipped on a banana peel. Mm. So yes, I'm putting two pieces of information in there, but I, it, it just, it flows, it, it paints, yeah. it yeah. does everything that, so I use them probably every fifth or sixth or eighth sentence is an introductory clause sentence. But you're not making it five or six pieces of information. Right, right. One or two. One, One or two. If in doubt, go check out the single responsibility principle of computer science because you will be able to understand it even if you've never written a line of code. So that's the, the craft of writing. Keep the complexity out. You know, your sentence structures need to be tight. You're, that that needs to lead into the paragraph structure, which has one or two things that you're trying to push in that paragraph, which leads into the scene, which has one or two things that you're trying to do with the scene. And then with the chapter, you really want that one message. And then that leads to, you know, the, the overall thing, which is the story. You want that one message. And complexity at any stage of the game is going to burden the story, burden the reader, turn them off and not accomplish what you think that it is. And there's other things that we didn't even touch on that, that because, because it's, 
as a writer, you shouldn't do it, but people do it all the time. So just as a final note, head hopping. Head hopping is not allowed in any point of view and it weakens every story. There's not a single story that works unless you came up with a story where the entire plot device is head hopping, but then the whole thing has to be built around it, which I've never seen. Head hopping ruins stories. But it also adds complexity because you're in every single character's head in every single scene. There's so much to think about, about avoiding complexity on every level, not just from the, the sentence level, but all the way up to your plotting, your world building, your everything. All it does is hurt your story. I know you think it's cool, which is why you keep shoving it in there. But the reality is it actually hurts the reader's enjoyment. And that's going to hurt your ratings. That's going to hurt your sales. That's going to hurt your career. That's going to hurt everything. So all of that hurt is not worth because you think, you know, this one world building thing is cool. So avoid those complexities. What you want is complications and complications are always there as a method to show the character they're on the wrong side of the theme because we're going to eventually transform to the right side of the theme. And those complications are those, the story's way of saying, dude, you're on the wrong side of the theme. If you would just be on the right side of the theme, you wouldn't have these problems. And so that's why we want those complications in the story, but we want to avoid complexity. And we will see you soon for another episode. Hi guys, this is Marie from Releasing Your Inner Dragon. And I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you're interested in more content on fantasy world building, head over to YouTube and look up Just In Time Worlds. I release tons of content there. If you'd like to check out my book, The Hidden Blade by Marie M. Mullaney, it is available as an ebook, audiobook and print book on Amazon. Thanks for listening and see you soon. Hey guys, Drake here. Thank you so much for listening to Releasing Your Inner Dragon podcast. I hope you're getting a ton of information and maybe even some nuggets of gold that you can take into your own writing to help you on your journey of story creation. A couple things I want to throw at you. First of all, for the first time in years, I am opening myself up to being a private mentor again. If you would like for me to work with you to improve your writing right now, reach out to me. You can either go to my website, maxwellalexanderdrake.com, and send me a contact form, or just email me at author at maxadrake.com. Also, as many of you may know, I've been out of the novel game for quite a few years. I was the lead fiction writer for EverQuest Next from Sony. I've been in the movie and TV industry for a few years now, but I am excited to say I'm back into the novel game. I've actually been working on a novel for a little while now, and I'm going to start dropping it on Amazon's Vela. So if you're on that platform, look me up, Maxwell Alexander Drake. Thank you again for listening, and as always, keep writing.